Um, listen, let's go to the Lord in prayer here and ask for his help. Lord, we, uh, we just tell you this morning we need you. Um, there's, um, we, we just know without you we can really do nothing uh, of substantial impact, spiritually speaking. And so, Lord, we ask and pray that you would help us, uh, that we would have a heart for you, we would have a heart to serve you and serve um, the people around us in your name. And we pray, God, that you would uh, also just strengthen those that have weak hands today, those that are really struggling, that uh, maybe just, you know, spiritually, emotionally limped in here. And um, we just pray, Lord, that you would strengthen and bolster their spirit this morning, encourage them. And so we also just pray for healing for those that need your physical healing touch. And um, Lord, we just uh, pray this morning as we get into your word, Lord, I just pray that you'd fill me up with your spirit, help me to uh, be true to your word, and Lord, uh, bless us with your presence in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have been making our way through the book of Luke. Um. We're in chapter 9, and we've been there for a little bit. Uh, Today we're talking about the humility and teaching of Jesus. We're entering into a part of chapter 9 where almost every time we we will visit this chapter 9 hereafter, which is not that many times, but the disciples are being corrected, okay? They are being corrected about something. And um, it, it just reminds me of how patient Jesus is. Uh, how patient he is with his followers, and it also reminds me that we never arrive. I mean, these guys were hanging out with Jesus, okay? They had him in the flesh, okay? And they still had struggles. They still didn't always understand. They still didn't uh, either understand uh, necessarily how ministry, he wants ministry to work even. We'll see that today. And so, um, I, I'm just, I found myself just being thankful, thankful that we have uh, a Lord like Jesus who loves us and is patient with us. And so um, this morning, if you're able to stand, uh, would you just stand as I read the scripture? This is kind of our habit, our, our uh, ritual, if you will, in, out of respect for the word of God. And so uh, I'll read this for you. This is Luke chapter 9, verses 37 to 50. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters, and it shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. 
But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, but he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. So, one of the first things we see in this passage is the humility of Jesus displayed in a couple of ways. And the first way is just that the compassion that Jesus shows for those who are suffering. And this man, and isn't it interesting how a number of times um, when a child is healed or delivered in the book of Luke, it's often an only child. I don't. I just find that fascinating. It's it's, their, it's this person's only son. It says, "Behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son. He is my only child.' And apparently, he uh, this guy had approached the disciples and asked them to cast out the demon to deliver uh, his son, and they were unable to do it. Now, do you remember? Uh, earlier in the book of Luke, where Jesus empowered these same men. He gave them authority and the power to deliver people and to preach in his name, right? Uh, There's no reason to believe he revoked the power (laughs) from these men. It's just that um, apparently, uh, now you got to think about, I know it's been a week since I've been here, but... um, the last time I taught was the, the transfiguration of Jesus. And here three of the, of the disciples were with, uh, it was Peter, James, and John, were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were with him. So I'm presuming, I don't know for sure, but I'm presuming that the other nine that were down there that didn't go with Jesus uh, and these three were maybe the ones who were asked to deliver him. And, but whoever it was and whenever it was, they were not able to deliver him. And, and so this man brings his boy to Jesus. And, but what Jesus, um, uh, what Jesus says, though, is he's, he, he has a rebuke. And uh, there's a little debate as to is, is he, when Jesus gives us rebuke, is it, is it to everyone there or is it to just the, the disciples um, whom should have been able to deliver this man, I feel it's the latter. My opinion is it's, he's, you know, he was just talking about that they couldn't do it. And now Jesus, I think, is really making the connection. He says, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? And basically he's saying, you know, how long am I going to put up with your lack of faith? Um, that's what he's saying. And so um, I think what's happening here is, 
um, there was a lack of faith on these disciples' part. They were not able to deliver this man. I think that's what it was. I mean, I think that's the connection. And so, but Jesus, uh, so, so you have, again, in this passage that we're reading, the disciples failing at several points, and this is one of them. They were not able to, they, they did not deliver this man, and apparently it was their lack of faith. And so Jesus, you know, is saying, how long am I going to have to put up with you? Um, and so he does uh, rebuke the demon and delivers uh, this, this boy from this demon who was, you know, sending him into convulsions uh, and seizures and so on. So the Lord uses his power there to show his compassion on this young boy and this father. You know, think about this. If this was your child, right, if this was your child and they were suffering in some way, you know, be it some kind of demonic thing or whether just some physical ailment, right, or there's something going on in your child's life that is destructive and you know it and Let's say they're an adult or something, and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, um, I just when I read this portion of Luke nine, I just see there that um, the Lord wants us to take our kids to Jesus. Doesn't matter how old they are, okay? So I, I know that sounds like elementary school Christianity, but I'm telling you, you know, we 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 think we try to figure it all out. We try to you know, give little lectures uh, to try to fix people. And, I'm, and there is appropriate times to instruct and help tell people the truth. There's no question. But ultimately, it's going to take the Lord Jesus himself. It's going to take God and his spirit to change people, to change children's hearts, to deliver children. Okay, so uh, please, uh, let's all just remember that the Lord wants us to take our kids to Jesus. Okay, and and seek uh, him on their behalf. All right, and so uh, and let's go with faith, knowing that God cares for our kids even more than we do, even more than we do. So, uh, you know, so again, when I when I read this, I just as I think about application, uh, that's one of the things that just comes away for me that the, the hearts, the heart that Jesus had for this young boy, and to 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 know that um, his father, how his father must have felt with years of this being plagued with this demon and how the Lord wants to deliver people. So, and he wants to save people. So, uh, let's see the heart of the Lord there and let's remember that he wants us to take him, uh, take, take our children to him. Now, I said this kind of as I opened up, but um, just, just remember that we still have a lot to learn. These disciples, they have a lot to learn, right? Even though they were physically with Jesus for three years, um, uh, a lot of the light bulbs didn't go off until after the resurrection, right? After the resurrection. And so uh, we need to make sure that we realize that we have to keep humble before God and to remember that we have a lot to learn doesn't matter how long you follow Jesus. I don't care if you can quote your Bible frontwards and backwards. Uh, you're not done yet, okay? And, and uh, the Lord is, is, it has things to teach us. And the real question is, will we receive it? 
will we receive it? And that's, we see the Lord, I mean, he does express here, you know, that, that the issue of um, the disciples' lack of faith. And I would say, you know, that could be me at any time, too. And that could be you at any time, our lack of faith and trust in God's word and what he says and what he's doing, trusting him, trusting God with um, what's going on in our lives. And that's really what faith is here. It's not, we're not talking about just faith in faith. We're talking faith in God himself and that he knows what he's doing and that he is powerful enough to deliver someone, heal someone, uh, if he so chooses to do so. But we have to be humble like the Lord, right? We need to be make sure that we're not uh, ever thinking that we've got it all together, spiritually speaking, that we couldn't uh, use some instruction and an adjustment or realignment in uh, w- what's going on in our lives. Now, the other thing that's interesting here is if you think about what, again, what happened in the scene before this, that Jesus um, is there on the Mount of Transfiguration and his glory is revealed, right? Those, those three disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, they saw the glory of Jesus uh, in all his majesty, and uh, they had never seen anything like that. And um, it changed them. We mentioned this, I mentioned this in the message, it changed their lives. Uh, those three men who were witnesses of the transfiguration. And, and that same Jesus, though, that majestic Jesus, uh, is the one who says, he says, um, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink in your ears. I'm just like, I can't remember. It's almost, it's sort of another way of Jesus saying, him who has ears to hear, let him hear. But I've never heard it phrased this way in the ESV. It's, that's what it says. It says, let, all, let these words sink in your ears. And when somebody says that, you, you kind of like want to lean in because you're, like, you're thinking that this must be important, right? Um, Charles Stanley, everybody heard Charles Stanley preach? He, he's gone to be with the Lord this year, right? Uh, I, I, never, I haven't listened to him like the last uh, decade so much, but I listened to him a lot beforehand. Not for any particular reason, but but uh, he always would say when he's going to make a point. You know what he would say? Now listen, now listen. You remember that? Listen. Okay, so you kind of knew when the point was coming, right? And I, I kind of think about this in a, in a but in a more powerful way. Jesus is saying, trying to say, now listen. And here's what he says: um, Let these words sing in. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Right after, right on the heels of the Mount of Transfiguration, didn't Jesus tell them, I'm going to have to die, and then three days later I'll rise from the dead? He said this once before. But now he's giving us a little bit more information. Did you catch it? He's going to be delivered into the hands of men. What does that mean? Betrayal. He's going to be betrayed. He will be delivered into the hands of men. And so... And so he's trying to tell them some more information about what is to come. And when, as we go through, um, uh, we're taking a little break at the end of chapter 9, but when we come back, Jesus will be setting his face towards Jerusalem. He's, right now we're kind of finishing up his Galilean ministry and what he's doing here. 
but he'll set his face towards the cross and head towards Jerusalem. Uh, But that same majestic Jesus they saw on the mountain is humbling himself to come and die for sinners such as us. That doesn't compute. Why would uh, the Lord of glory, right, why would he do that? Well, we know it's it's, uh, the Father's love for us is why he has done that, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, right? We know that, John 3.16. That's why. And so... So just remember, this is Jesus' mission. He came to die for us. He came to die for our sins. And it just, it just shows that his love for us. He laid down his life for us. And um, even when we didn't know him, right, we didn't know him. Maybe we were far from him that he has demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, it says in the book of Romans. Now, after Jesus says that, and he's saying, now let these words sink in, verse 45, it says, but they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they they might not perceive it. And it says, and they were afraid to ask him about it. I don't even know what that's about, like the being afraid, but um, maybe they didn't want to know why that was. I mean, uh, but a couple things. Um, I don't think it wasn't that they didn't understand the words. I mean, they understood the words, like what they meant. But I think what they couldn't, what they couldn't put together was that the Lord of glory, why, when he's coming to save us, like, and they're thinking of this triumphant thing where they're going to be delivered from uh, Roman occupation and, and that kind of deliverance, right? They're, they're thinking, because that's what they have in their minds, that kind of deliverance, that's the Messiah in their mind, that's the, the function of the Messiah is to deliver them from the oppression, right? And so... They're thinking, well, why would the Son of Man, God's chosen one, be delivered over to men? That that does not compute. That's what I think they did not understand. It wasn't that they didn't understand the words. They didn't understand how this could be. Now, um, we do see God's sovereignty here that it's because it says that um, it was concealed from them. Well, the only one I think that could really could make them like not understand it is God himself. Why would he do that? We don't really know. I mean, you can speculate. It just says they were, they were kept from knowing why. They were, connect from, they, were, they were kept from connecting the dots at this point. Maybe it's a timing thing. God had his purpose in the timing of when they would actually connect the dots finally. But we don't know. We just know that God and his sovereignty was not... Uh, allowing them to connect all the dots. But I do think once they did, they put all this together. The Holy Spirit definitely brought to mind the things that Jesus said, right? And I think you would remember, particularly in a primarily oral culture, when when your teacher 
right? Your teacher, your rabbi would say, because, you know, that's what you do. I mean, that's, these guys are following Jesus around, right? He called them to follow him. He's their teacher. They're following him around. And when your teacher says, uh, listen to what, listen to this, you're going to remember those things and probably put those things together. So it really wasn't, they didn't understand what he was saying, but why this was going to be. So isn't it true, though, in our own lives that sometimes we only understand what the passage of time, what God was doing? I mean, and sometimes we never know. Like, sometimes you just never know. But sometimes God, by His grace, does allow us to see how He was working after the fact, right? Even through very difficult and painful things, we, could, we can look. So God gives us these glimpses and allows us to, to see what He was doing. And I really think that's a grace of God for Him to do that because He certainly doesn't owe us that. But He does that at times where He gets, uh, helps us connect the dots after the fact. And that's a real grace of God for Him to do that. Now, as He go on through the passage, starting in verse 46 then, we see Jesus teaching on greatness. He talks about greatness, and it says in verse 46, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Which of them was the greatest? Now, again, you kind of... I think what this was about was that these disciples were thinking, okay, they still got their mind locked in on what, the, what their view of the Messiah was going to do this time around, and that was he's coming in power, he's going to deliver us from the oppression here, and so they're thinking, like, where do we fit in the ranks? Like, where, where are we? Who is the, and in fact, you know, it's about them, right? That's what they're making it about. It says, because it says, uh, uh, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, now let that sink in for a minute. Jesus knows the reasoning of your hearts. He knows not only the words that are coming out of our mouths, but he knows all the thoughts behind those words and the motives and everything. And so... But it says, Jesus, knowing the reasoning in their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. So Jesus, you know, is about ready to give an illustration to them about what real greatness is, right? What real greatness is. And so he says to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him, uh, whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Now, so it's interesting there to see how he's just turning the world's definition of greatness totally upside down, right? Um, most people would think, you know, of great people, they got that way because, you know, they just uh, set their face like flint on the prize ahead of them and, and sometimes didn't care who they stepped on to get there. You know, it's about gaining the power, uh, the prestige, the notoriety. That They think that's the greatness. And Jesus 
is saying it's not about your status, it's not about your position in society at all. In fact, if you want to be great, um, associate yourself with those who are lowly. Associate with those who are lowly. Receive those who society considers to be lowly or a low-level status, if you will, in the world. Receive them, he says. It's because a child, you know, there in the context would be, uh, you know, if you were under 12, I mean, you didn't have a lot of value in helping the house out, okay? In fact, they weren't even going to teach you the Torah, from what I understand, if you're under 12. So, so there's just this, you know, it's just kind of, he's using this, this example of uh, children because they would be kind of at the lowest strata of society. And he's saying, you know, if you welcome one of these, like I am here, uh, if, you, if you look at everybody that same way, no matter what their status is, that makes you great in my eyes. What a great thing. And what a great challenge for all of us, right? To, it's going to take the grace of God for us to love people and receive people in his name without coming with preconceived notions or ideas of that person. Like I say, somebody that, you know, when, you're, when you walk in a room and you see somebody, sometimes we automatically form opinions or even the first words out of their mouths. I, I've already mentioned this before. I just confess to you, sometimes I do this with some of my students. Uh, I've been teaching for 15 years now at Columbus State part-time, and, and you have categories in your mind, oh, you're this kind of student. I know how this is going to turn out. I mean, I just say that to my, you know, my, uh, my shame, but I'm just admitting to you we do that sometimes. You may, maybe you're not teaching, but we do that. And what we have to do is say, Lord, help me to see people the way you see them. Help me to see them as one of your creation made in your image deserving of my respect. Now, it doesn't mean I have to amen every wrong thing they're doing, okay? But I can still love them, right? I can still treat them with respect. And um, if we're going to receive somebody in Jesus' name, that's what we need to do. See them. He's created them. They're made in his image. They're valuable to him, right? And so he's trying to redirect these disciples to stop thinking about positions and power and start thinking about um, how to receive people in his name, how to love them uh, in the way he wants them to be loved. So it's just, it's just a challenge for all of us, you know, if we're honest. Some days we love well, some days we don't. And that's why we need a Savior. Right? That's, why we, that's why Jesus came, because of our sinfulness. But when we receive the Holy Spirit, though, and as Tom was talking about the fruit of the Spirit, when you're filled up with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the fruit will be evident, and one of those things is love, right? Love. So if there's anything that, that we need probably all to do more, it's to say, um, Lord, fill me. Fill me with your Spirit. Uh, and by filling, I mean, Lord, control me. Let me, let me, uh, let the spirit reign more than my flesh reigns. Right? 
in my case, Lord, let me not categorize these people I don't even know. Lord, help me to, to just put that aside and take them right where they are. So, But we need God's help for that. We need God's help for that. You, I, I would encourage you, by the way, if you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, that every day when you're spending time in the Word, before you end it, would you just simply say, Father, fill me with your Spirit. Empower me with your Spirit. I need you. I need your power today. Would you do that? That's what he wants us to do. He commands us to be filled with the Spirit. So that's just us obeying. If God commands you to do something and you ask him to do it, he's going to do it. I mean, I love that, right? He commands you to be filled with the Spirit, you know, to, and that's something that's not a one-time thing. We get all the Spirit we're going to get in the sense that he's living in us when we believe. But in terms of his control, his work in our lives, it's, it's, uh, we have to be yielded. And I say just, you know, we've got to keep asking uh, every day. Uh, in, in one sense, I suppose every moment, but at least every day when you think about that, Spirit, fill me, please, Lord, fill me to do what you have laid out for me to do today. And that's loving people, receiving people in his name, uh, being, this is being great in God's eyes. This is what it is. Now, the last thing that's mentioned in here, um, so, okay, we got the, we got the failure to deliver the guy from the demon, the, the young boy. And now we have the, the failure to understand what real greatness is. Uh, and now we're going to have just a mess uh, in the next couple of verses. Um, in verse 49, John answered, Master, uh, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. If ever there was a couple of verses uh, against kind of tribalism in Christianity, it's probably these two verses. Uh, meaning like, you know, you think of your tribe, it's like your group, you know, your people. Um, you know, it, there's a, there could be a healthy aspect to that for sure, like community. You know, you feel that sense of connectedness. and In that sense, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you think your group's got it all together and that, you know, other people are just doing it wrong, you know, uh, well, then that's when you're, you're just prideful. You think other people can't, can't do ministry as good as you do it or whatever, whether it's church-wide or individual, that's just, just wrong. There's plenty of great things happening in the name of Jesus outside these four walls for sure. And we should thank God for that. It, it's really... Worldwide, it's a team effort, right? Every team might have a different color T-shirt. <laughs> We've got a different type of, you know, our own identity and so on. And there are, there are certain things that might be unique to the beliefs of that local church. But, you know, if they truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in the Scriptures, believe Him as the Lord and Savior, then we are on the same team, ultimately, in terms of salvation, right? Uh, and so... Um, be careful about uh, criticizing ministries you know nothing about, okay? Um, now, we do see the Apostle Paul uh, calling out some people in the Bible that were had error. I don't think there's anything wrong with, like, saying, well, I think this belief is wrong, and 
according to the scriptures clearly. Nothing wrong with that. But I think just generally thinking about, you know, uh, uh, the churches around us, you know, uh, unless you know something differently, let's believe the best that they're, they're on team Jesus, you know, and working for the cause of the gospel until you know differently, right? Um, but I, I think the thing is, it's just a, a humility here. If we see one thing that's a thread through this whole passage, it's humility, the humility of Jesus and the humility that Jesus wants his followers to have. And in, in this last couple of verses, it's about the fact that, hey, there's plenty of people doing out their ministry in my name, and you just let them go for it, right? You just let them go. You're, you're on the same team, right? until you discern that they're not, okay? And so I think this is just a good, good word to remind us that uh, we're one little outpost, Christian outpost among many other outposts on this earth, right? And it should be encouraging to you that it's not all up to us, okay? <laughs> Praise the Lord. And ultimately, it's up to God, but, but he has many people, right? And um, he has many people, and I, I think about when I say that, um, I think about when uh, the I think okay so uh, I think it was when the Lord was saying something to Paul that there were many people in a particular place that he was going to save. Just think about that, like where you live, where you work, right? Um, wherever you work out, if you work out, you know, you do your hobbies or whatever. In those places, the Lord has many people in those places He wants to save. And he could very well be wanting you to be that voice for him, that person who is, uh, demonstrates his love and demonstrates uh, that, you know, communicates to him the love of God and the gospel. But these, these disciples uh, needed to know that they didn't have a corner on everything, that there could other people could, you know, as long as they believed in Jesus, they could do ministry too. Um, and, and I'll just end with this, too. I, I was thinking about how, uh, so years ago when I, I took a course from a vineyard church, and um, w- one of the things that I appreciated about one of the things I learned there was that um, their view of ministry was that everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play, meaning we're all ministers. Of, you know, we're all, we all... God has the same spirit as in every believer, and so um, God's got you next to this person. You know, you can minister to them just as good as anybody that has the word pastor in front of them. That's, there's, you know, that's just the pastors. It's the vocational aspect, okay? And, and usually there's a calling that go with that. I get that. But, but I think just the idea that they were, the way they said that struck me was that everybody gets to play. And I think Jesus is saying this, that all believers get to participate in ministry, okay? And, and ministry within the walls of this building, ministry out there, is that, you know, we're, we're, if we're living for the Lord, He's all called us to participate in, in, in being His people wherever we are and being the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we are. And so... Um, so just know that, right? The Lord wants you to, you, you get to play. Everybody gets to play with regards to ministry. And think about how God wants to use you, right? How he wants to use you. Uh, when we were at 
uh, Lynn and I visited Linworth Road Church here a, while, a few weeks ago when Sam Storms was in town, and um, he was sharing a story about how uh, someone in the church was saying, hey, pastor, hey, pastor, there's this person over here that needs prayer. Could you come and pray for me? He's like, no, you go do it. You go do it because you, you've got the Spirit of God and you can pray. And he wasn't like sloughing off his responsibilities. What he was trying to do was to release people and say, no, you go do it. You trust God to use you because that's what he wants to do. Amen? That's what he wants to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the humility of Jesus, that he was willing to suffer for us, for our sins, that he was, uh, that we see the compassion of Jesus displayed. Lord, give us his heart. Give us the heart of Jesus. Help us to have that kind of compassion on the people around us. Um, help us to, to be humble and realize we don't have the corner on ministry for Jesus that there are so many others doing so many great things in his name. And Lord, help us to, to receive others in the name of Jesus in the way they deserve to be received. Um, help us to love them the way Jesus loves them, to see them as your creation created in your image. And um, Lord, we, we want to uh, be seen as great in your eyes, not in the world's eyes. So, Lord, we ask for your help on all these things. Fill us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.